0: Romans chapter 8. Uh, if you're using one of the Bibles in the pew, this is on page 944. 944. But click, click to that, turn to that, whatever. Oh, if you don't have a Bible, it's totally fine. A lot of the passage is up on the screen as well. And we are starting a new series this morning called, Who Am I? Who Am I? Um, in a two-minute mingle, you gave somebody your name, but that doesn't fully answer the question, who am I, does it? You may mention your career. You may mention what school you go to. That gives a fuller answer, but it's still not everything that would be involved in answering that. If you had more time to think about it and talk about it, you might mention hobbies that you have or things that you're really passionate about, there would be layers that we could add on, but does that really get to the depth of the answer to that question? And on top of processing it and how we would answer it, there's also society and the different things that society gives us in regards to opinions or directions on how to answer it. Various voices that call out to us and saying, this is how you should see yourselves. Who am I We're going to look at answering this question this month, but we want to go deep with it, soul deep with it, specifically from the angle of thinking about who am I as somebody who follows Jesus? Who am I as someone who follows Jesus? Now, for those of you who claim to be a Christ follower, this is going to be a reminder. This is going to be a refocusing. This is going to be a recalibrating. Uh, the, the basics are typically the things that we need to be reminded of the most. And we really need to know who we are as people who follow Jesus. For those of you who are just participating, checking things out, visiting with us, you wouldn't call yourself somebody who follows Jesus, but you're interested, you want to hear, you want to listen. Again, first off, I am super glad that you're here and you feel like you can do that in this place. And as you're trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out, this is going to be a chance for you to hear how God offers answers to that question of who am I. Who am I? As the 21 days of prayer and fasting were coming to an end, our leadership team discussed what our sermon focus should be for this month. When we think about being ready as a church, what does our church family need to process in light of what God has for us? And this series was really birthed from that conversation. Uh, And so in that, I am really excited for how God is going to encourage us and challenge us in this next month as we go through this. Uh, So before we jump into it, let's pray together and just ask God to speak to our hearts. God, we are so grateful for your presence. We are so grateful for your love for us. We're grateful that you are the perfect father and you love your children. God, I pray that you would help us to see the reality of that this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts to the truth of who you are and the truth of your heart toward us, um, of the life that you offer us, the life that you have for us, God. For the distractions that are in our heads, the things that are pulling us in different directions, I pray you would silence silence those things, God, so we can hear from you. That Spirit, you would move in this place. You would move it where people are at at home and that we would hear from you speaking through your word. We are grateful for the God that you are and your love for us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Perfect timing. (laughs) The segue, uh, there we go. Uh, Who am I? We want to start with a core reality in answering this question. And in following Jesus, one of the most central of truths that we have to grasp and hold on to is mentioned in Romans 8 verse 14. It says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. In the Old Testament, God talked about his chosen people, Israel, like this. One of the prophets said, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. Talking about this nation being like his children his love for them, the special place that Israel had in God's heart, the love which he had for them. Romans is telling us that a relationship with God means that you are his child, that he has that love for you. To be a son or daughter of God, this is our central identifying truth. Not simply a piece of our personality puzzle, not a hobby, not a religious thing that we might think about or a piece of religious information to just theologize about every once in a while. To be a child of God is a central, core, identifying truth, reality that saturates every aspect of our being. To be a follower of Jesus gives an answer to the question, who am I? I am a child of God. Now maybe you are here listening today or maybe you're at home listening and your family situation growing up makes hearing the idea of God as father or us being a child of God, maybe that's difficult to connect with. Maybe you had a father who abandoned you, or maybe you had a mother who belittled you. Maybe one of them was abusive. Maybe one was passive-aggressive in their treatment of you. They bring negative thoughts instead of positive ones. So the idea of God as father is difficult to take in. And those experiences, let me say, are legitimate. And those defense reactions are understandable and appropriate. And so all I can say and ask you to do is this. Let God show you that he's different. Let God show you that he is the perfect father. Let God show you how much he loves you. Because that's what we're going to see from this section in Romans this morning. The first thing to know about what it means to be a child of God is this that God loves you immensely. God loves you immensely. He wants a relationship with you. You may know of someone who adopted or you've seen depictions of orphanages in movies or stories. We have ideas of what that's like, for better or worse, for accurate or completely off, that we have ideas that come to mind when we hear the word adoption. But we need to understand how people who heard that word heard the idea of adoption during the time the Bible was written, how they would have taken it when Paul mentions about us being adopted. And there's three really important things about adoption in the Greco-Roman world that we have to understand to understand Paul's point here. First off is this, is that Roman adoption was primarily about succession an inheritance. Now we're not talking about Logan's children or anything like that. If you know what I'm talking about, completely different idea. But this it's similar in the sense of adoption wasn't about in their perspective simply giving a kid a new life and it wasn't about I'm not able to have kids so I'm going to adopt or anything like that. Those were not on their radar. It was primarily to designate an heir. Who is going to carry on the family name? Who is going to keep this going? So it was primarily about succession, about inheritance. In their culture, second thing, adopting complete strangers was very rare. That was not the normal thing. So adopters found kids from close relatives or from friends' children's there already was an established connection. And then the last thing is that adopting slaves was the least preferred option in Roman society. Adopting slaves, adopted slaves could not get the same privileges and status as somebody's biological children. So, and status was huge in this world. The honor of that. So no one would choose a slave because of society's prejudices. If there was a kid never wanted for adoption, it was a slave kid. And so take these points in. Bring them together. The normal way adoption went down in the world with where this passage was written was that adoption wasn't about the kid. It was about the family family continuing its name. Adoption wasn't about strangers in need. It was picking somebody you already knew. And adoption wasn't about choosing just anyone because there were some that were not wanted. Adopting a stranger, slave child was unheard of. Why in the world would you do that would be the reaction to that possibility in their world. Does that make sense? Because we have to take that understanding to Romans 8.15 when it says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Do you hear the contrast that he's making in there? He is contrasting adoption and slavery. And slavery is, is the image that is given for someone who is not in a relationship with God. There's other parts of Romans where he uses the same language. He says in Romans 6.20, For when you were slaves of sin, connecting slavery with the sin, in Romans 7.14, But we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Someone that's not in a relationship with God is described as enslaved. We belong to another master. We are enslaved to sin. Again, understand this like someone hearing it for the first time. Apart from God, you are a slave, the outcast, the oppressed, indebted. Apart from God, you are the stranger, not a part of a family, unwanted. In our sin, we are the one in the orphanage who never gets picked the kid who would not have been adopted, the one who would have been avoided. In our sin, that's the picture of what we are. And what does Paul say about God's heart? Is that God doesn't do the normal thing. God doesn't do what they would have expected. God didn't avoid the slave. He didn't avoid the stranger. He made straight for us. He knows the type of kid we are. And he says, I want that one. I want you. He knows we are slaves to sin, and he knows what sin looks like in our lives. He knows the brokenness that it creates. He knows the destruction that it caused. He knows full well we are strangers, not part of his family and nothing like him. He knows we are the ones who don't get picked, that our sin creates brokenness and condemns us to it, and the brokenness that it causes when it comes to God, though, he chooses you. You are not left. You are not ignored. You are not unknown. You are loved by God more than you can possibly comprehend. And so what, do, what God does can only be described as an extraordinary act of love for you and I. He chooses us, liberates us from our slavery, and invites us to come home to a new life. It says in Ephesians 2, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, taking our sin upon him and putting his righteousness upon us, we are able to enter into the family of God. We are able to come near to God. It says in Romans 5, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you so that you can have life. He chooses you. He wants you to have life. He is going against their cultural expectation and really even ours to bring us near to make us his children. And so be encouraged today. Somebody needs to hear that. You are loved. You are loved. God goes through the ultimate process to make us his children and bring us home. He went to the cross to take care of our condemnation, paying the price for our sin, liberating us from that life. He reaches out his hand in love saying, do you want to come home with me? He, he, we have to just reach out in faith saying, yes, I believe that you are Lord. I believe you died for me. I believe you want me. I want life with you. And again, it might be hard when we think about our family situation to accept that. And so just know that the life that God is offering you and the father that he is is beyond anything you could even understand or comprehend. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. You don't have to do anything to earn it. This is the reality of grace, is that he gives it to us freely. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to impress him. He loves you perfectly. God loves you immensely. He wants to have a relationship with you. Be encouraged this morning. You are loved. The second thing that we see in this little paragraph is that you are not only, God doesn't just love you immensely. God loves you constantly. He wants you to always be aware of his caring presence. He loves you constantly. It says in verses 15 and 16, And by him we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, when my kids were little, sometimes even now, if they were scared about something, Dad! Maybe it was a spider. I'm not going to call mom for that one. Maybe it was something else. But if there was something going on, they were up high and they needed help getting down, sometimes it was freaked out by the dark, sometimes maybe a bully, something at school, something, something scary something difficult, they knew they could yell, Dad, and I would be there. It's the life that they have. They don't, by any means, have a perfect parent. They don't have perfect parents, but they have ones that they can call to, and they will come, and we will do what we can to help them. Not every kid has that experience. We think about kids who are in the system, who are wanting to have families, who are wanting to be with somebody and to have the opposite experience in many ways is two completely different ways of living. And we see the contrast in these verses. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his children. Now you can call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. The life apart from God produces fear, but life with him and oriented to him produces confidence, peace. It gives us assurance we can cry out to our perfect father. There's times in life when we experience uncertainty. We experience moments that seem hopeless and it can be very scary and those scary times will come. There is nothing in the Bible that tells us that life will never be scary. That life will never be hard. In fact, it's usually pretty clear. It's going to get too hard for you at times. And but when it does, you have someone to cry out to. Not only can we cry out to God, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, reminding us that we are God's kids. That's what it means in verse 16 the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's like the Holy Spirit is whispering us to us in our life situations the moments when we feel doubtful, the moments when we're scared, the moments when we're tempted, the moments we want to give in, the moments when we're just done with it. The Holy Spirit is speaking to our souls saying, remember who you are. You are God's kid. You are loved. Do not give up. The Spirit is speaking to us and speaking to our souls during those moments, reminding us of who we are. Constantly, whatever the situation is, you are a child of God. Pastor Charles Stanley gives a list of God's promises in the Bible. And when I go through these, To me, these are the type of things that the Holy Spirit reminds our souls about. That the Lord brought you into a relationship with him. That he forgives your sin. That his presence is continually with you. This is that list, Greg. That he forgives your sins. That his presence is continually with you. That you have the Holy Spirit who is your helper. That you have the assurance of God's strength that he himself will supply all of your needs, that he answers your prayers, that he daily bears your burdens, that he comforts you in times of trouble, that he grants wisdom, that he gives offers rest for your soul, that he offers peace, that he is a very present help in trouble, that he will give you direction for life, that nothing can separate us from his love, that Jesus provides the gift of eternal security, that we're offered a home with him in eternity. These are the things that our souls forget. These are the things that we lose focus of. And in every situation that we're in, if we're listening to him, if we're seeking him out, these are the things that the Spirit will remind us of. You are a child of God. And this is what, everything I just read, it means to be a child of God. Are you listening to him? Are you listening for him? You cannot hear someone that you are not attuned to. So you have to ask yourself, do you cry out to your heavenly father? Or are you the stubborn kid? Now, you know what I mean by the stubborn kid. By stubborn kid, I mean that when, a, when you tell a kid that you want them to help them, here, let me help you with that. Let me, you know, let me help. No, no, I got it. Me do it. I got it. No, 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 let me help you. No, me do it. And then it's, okay, fine. 30 seconds later. Okay, fine, let me help you. No, 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 me do it. Okay, I need help. Never wanting to just get help, but this stubbornness of no, I can do it that eventually leads to a mess or brokenness or whatever that might be. We can look at a kid and find frustration in that or cuteness in that or typically a mixture of the two, but the reality is we are that kid. And in every situation we find ourselves in, Not just the really, really big things and not just the really, really difficult things, but the day-to-day normal things. We walk through life with a, I got it, attitude. Rather than allowing the Spirit to speak to our hearts and remind us that we are children of God and we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to do anything on our own. He is always with us. He is always loving us. He is always caring about us. He is always present. The Father encouraging us and helping us and walking through with us. Why would you not let him? Don't be the stubborn kid. Allow God to speak encouragement and help to your soul as you go through life. Be encouraged. You are cared for. He loves you constantly and he wants you to be aware of his caring presence. And then the last thing, God loves you immensely, God loves you constantly and God loves you endlessly. He gives you an amazing future which impacts your now. He loves you endlessly. It says in verse 17, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with God if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Remember what I said about the idea of adoption in their world. It was all about appointing an heir. Who was going to inherit all of this? Who was going to keep this life going? Who was going to cause this not to end? And the people that weren't adopted, especially the slaves, had no thought of that future. That future was impossible to them. There was not a future of hope and provision and security. It was they had to deal with life in the now knowing that they didn't have that kind of future. And think about what that does to a person. The life that they live thinking they have no hope. Have you ever been in a season when you felt no hope? when you were not only just uncertain about the future, but felt no hope for the future. Your thoughts of the future impact what you're doing in the moment. And so that's why this is so important to understand what it means to be a child of God, is that when you're a child of God, you have a future. You have a sure hope. God says, I'm bringing you in. I'm making you my child. You are my heir. You have a future. You have a hope. And it is certain. It is yours with Jesus. One of my old professors, he, he wrote this. In adopting us, God has taken no half measures. We have been made full members of the family and partakers of all the privileges belonging to members of that family. We are given the rights and the hope of what it means to be children of God. And so that's, that's the litmus test that you have to think about and consider when you think about how you're living life and what you're pursuing. Does the thing that you're latching onto for your identity, can it offer you what God offers you? It's probably not a bad thing. You're probably pursuing a great job and great relationships or a great, whatever the goal is. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's probably a really bad identity. It's probably the, not, it's a bad core reality of who you are. It cannot offer you and provide for you what God does. We mentioned this actually a couple weeks ago that what does the thing that you latch on to as the most important thing, the thing that defines and motivates and guides your life, what does death do to that? Because nothing in this world that we look to for meaning and identity and purpose can withstand death. That's, it's the equalizer of everything. It nullifies the promises of everything in this world. But with God, the status that we have, the relationship we have, the promise that we have transcends the death on this earth because we are in with him for eternity. We are with him forever. And you have a hope that transcends what even death throws at us. What are you putting your hope into? I guarantee it might give a little bit of happiness and assurance for a short while, but it eventually fizzles out and we have to get more or go to the next thing and keep doing the quick fix or the short-term fix. But only God gives us life and only God gives us a hope that sustains us throughout this life and for all of eternity. He loves you endlessly. He gives you a future that impacts your now because you could be in the lowest valley that you've ever been in. And if you are a child of God, you know, if this is it, man, let it be over with because I'm with him. I don't care what this world throws at me. I'm with him. That's my father. And I'm going to be okay because nothing can separate me from his love. Death isn't going to do it and nothing on this side of death is going to either. Nothing in this world offers you that. Only God can give you that type of a life. He loves you endlessly. He gives you an amazing future that impacts your now. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. May we never never hear that and it becomes trivial to our ears. If you have been walking with Jesus for a while and you hear God loves you and not even like the corner of your mouth turns up a little bit in a grateful smile, you need to check your heart. Because may we never be so tired and worn out and discouraged or distracted that we m- miss the amazing reality that the creator of the universe knows everything about us and loves you beyond what you can comprehend. He loves you immensely. He loves you constantly. And he loves you endlessly. In our family, our birthdays are spread out throughout the year. My wife, Jeanette's, is actually coming up In March, we say that that's um, our spring birthday, even though it might not always feel like spring. Uh, Jackson's is in the summer. Mine is in the fall, September 4th, if you want to write that down. And Bailey's is in uh, the winter. So we're spread out pretty evenly. It's pretty awesome in that regard. We celebrate on those days when each of us entered life. This is the time where life began for you. And the reality is, is that to, have a, to be a child of God, there's a day when that started. That isn't something that just always happened. That's not something that you just always have thought of. That's not something that, well, my parents believed this or my parents did this, so I am have it by osmosis. That's not how it works. There's a point in time in your life where you say, Jesus I want life with you. I, I, need to, I want to stop doing it on my own. Stop trying it on my own. I want to stop looking to other things. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to forgive my sins and give me life. There's a time when that happens. You might not know the exact date the way that some of us know our birthdays. But I, I know that between my eighth grade year of high school and my freshman year of high school, at summer camp with my youth pastor, I had a conversation with him saying, you know what, I've grown up in church, my family believes this stuff, I've no, this, is not, uh, this is all familiar to me, but I've never given my life to God. I've never put my faith in him and I need to do that. And it was then at that camp that my life began. And so you have to ask yourself, do you have a spiritual birthday? Is there a day when you became a child of God where you can look back and go, that's when I became a new person. That's when I became a son or daughter of God. That's when I began my life with Jesus. And if you don't, again, you might not know the day, the hour, that type of a thing, But you know it happened. And if it didn't happen, there's no shame in that. Do it. You need to put your faith in him. Romans says in chapter 10, If we openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so was there a time in your life where you did, not just checking a box, not just repeating a prayer, but the reality of the heart, the connection of your heart, the allegiance of your heart? Was there a moment where you, I declare that Jesus is Lord of my life? I believe that God raised him from the dead and why that happened. I believe in my heart. I am openly declaring my faith to God. Is there a time when you have done that? And if not, let today be the day. Ephesians says God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this, it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. It's not about how good of a person you are, how good, better you are than somebody else. It's not what your parents believed. It's not what you grew up with or didn't grow up with. It's you saying, I believe this about Jesus. I am declaring my faith in him. Let today be the day that you do that. You don't have to come up and do it with me. You don't have to fill out a form. There's nothing like that. You pray. We're going to be closing here in a moment with a final song. And in that, in that time, in the quietness of your heart, sitting there in the pew, pray that. In your own words, God, I want this to be the day. I, right now, I'm telling you, you're Lord of my life. I am acknowledging it's all because of everything you've done and nothing that I've done. I trust you. You do that right now. And let February 6th, I didn't know what today was, be your day. The day that you became a child of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you love us, that you pursue us, that you want us to be your children. We thank you, God, for how immensely, constantly, and endlessly, you love us. For those of God in here who don't have that relationship with you, God, I pray that today it begins. I pray that today is the day that they trust you. God, for those of us who have done that, I pray, God, that that, today is the day that we realize that that is what's most important. That that is who we are and that that would be the thing that guides our life and guides our decisions and guides all of our relationships and everything that we do. We are grateful for all that you're doing. I pray, God, you would form us more into your image. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to do this last song. And again,